I could take out of my life everything except my experiences at St. Andrew, and I still have a rich, full life. But the last tee shot I hit was more like it, that one in the playoff. Against Biden and Ray. That's right. The best thing to win the Masters, you, you will be here forever, as long as, as you are still alive, so that's the best thing. I'm very happy. Welcome to episode 68 of Talking Golf History. Today on our show, we welcome Tony Jacklin, two-time major champion, Ryder Cup hero for England, and the captain at the helm of the ship that helped turn around Team Europe in the Ryder Cup. With the 2021 U.S. Open and Open Championship remaining in the year, I thought this would be a great opportunity to speak with the Hall of Famer who became the first Englishman to win the U.S. Open in 46 years and the Open Championship in 18 years. Tony Jacklin reclaimed England's honor, and for a period of time, he was the best golfer in the world. This podcast is the first of a series of podcasts with Tony Jacklin. Part one, we discuss his early years, his major championship success and failures, and his remarkable stretch at the Open from 1969 to 1972. Part two will air later this year. We'll recall Tony Jacklin's success in the Ryder Cup as a player going 5-0-1 against Nicholas and Palmer, and his time as the captain of the European team. Without further ado, Tony Jacklin. Tony, thank you so much for joining us on Talking Golf History. My pleasure. If you wouldn't mind sharing, uh, how did you come about playing the game of golf? How did you start? Well, uh, in uh, it would be 1953. I was eight. Uh, it was my birthday's in July, so it was the summer of '53. I would I would be nine. And my father was a steel worker. We lived in a, a semi-detached house in Scunthorpe, north northeast England. And the neighbour, um, I can rem- remember it because I was kicking a ball around in the garden in the yard, and uh, the neighbour said he'd tried golf, uh, and he suggested that my father might enjoy it. And uh, you know, then my dad went. Uh, off with him the next day I guess he said to my mum he wouldn't be long and uh, but he was he was pretty much smitten by it you know right he, off the bat he, right off the bat and uh, like all kids you know I said can I come and and, and I would pull his trolley around and uh, uh, have a go when we got away from the sort of members eyes at club clubhouse and that was was it. I, I, he went to the local sale room uh, there, and uh, there were always bags of old hickory clubs yeah. sitting yeah. around. And we we got a bag of these older hickories, and we cut the shafts down. And uh, uh, you know that was the beginning of it for me. Uh, the subscription uh, for juniors it was two pounds a year. Really? <laughs> that, what that, was the club? Uh, it was Scunthorpe Golf Club. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, uh, and that was also obviously the year Hogan won at Carnoustie. I mean, did you even follow that? I mean, were you into golf at that moment or not? Not, but Hogan was the name. Yeah, you know, and uh, and uh, it didn't take me very long to uh, realize that you sort of couldn't cheat the fundamentals at golf. You you had to obey the fundamentals, and of course Hogan was a stickler for, for for that and he had the book out i think you know and i i was I, I i read as much as i could golf illustrated was the only magazine at the time a guy called tom scott was the editor back then in the 60s 50s and 60s and i just you know kept beating on it and uh but so did you have a was there an instructor involved or did you no, just beat no, it out of the no, ground yeah the, the pro the pro scunthorpe golf club then was ted muscroft and he was at best he was about eight or seven eight handicap uh, i can see him now he used to come from the inside all the time hit big hooks and uh, during that that year the, the real significant time was uh, for, for four years, I used to go there, and the golf club was my second home. Take sandwiches, you know, and stay the day all summer long. And uh, just practicing using my imagination, and it was always, in order to, 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 to keep my, my concentration, I would imagine Hogan sitting there watching. Would you really? Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, and you didn't want yeah. to d- disappoint him. Well, I, you know, I, I would be saying, you know, he wouldn't like that one. Right. <laughs> right. No, that's, that's so great. You know, and then when I, you know, when I got it right, that's, you know, that's. Uh, and so, you know, you, d- you just did things at that, uh, at that age to, to maintain your enthusiasm. I used to scrump for balls in the morning and practice in the afternoon. And everything was... You know, we we got no money. There was no no money there to buy new stuff. So, uh, you know, I played with the balls I found on the on the course, and then hopefully none of them were still rolling when you found them. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, no, and there was no practice ground or anything like that at, in the golf clubs in England in those days. It was uh, even on the great courses, links courses. There, you know, there was no practice facilities they all all came in uh, after 60s and 70s so i used to go and hit balls from semi rough into fairway pick them up and you know, and set myself you know use an umbrella to pitch into and upside down you and know. this was all just self driven yeah, yeah. this was just it, yeah. i want to work on my game yeah. was there an idea in your head then as a lad that you wanted to be a professional, or was it just, I like this game, I'm addicted to this game, I'm going to put in the time to be really good at it? At that point, I liked it, and, and it was something to do, because there was very little to do. Yeah. You know, you could, you could always get in trouble. <laughs> but it, was, uh, it suited me, and, you know, the solitude, I didn't mind that. I, you know, as I say, I had a, a pretty vivid imagination. And, and I progressed on through. I looked after the pro shop for Ted Moscroft, and the, there was a putting green right in front. So, at, was, at what age are we talking? Right, in, in, in eleven. Oh, really? Twelve? Really? Yeah. Eleven, twelve. That's yeah. fantastic. And uh, 
just chipping and putting around and if somebody came along you know I'd go and obviously serve them in the shop and see what they wanted and and, and then in in 1957 I was 13 and 13 is a very sort of um, I think it's a, it's a kind of critical age you know you you uh, anyway the Ryder Cup came to our area, to Lindrick Golf Club, which is about 60 miles away. And uh, my dad said to me, uh, would I like to go and, you know, I, I said, you're kidding, you know, let's, let's do it. And the, the first guy I saw swinging and hitting the ball is, uh, was Dow Finsterwald hitting a five iron out yeah. of semi and and, th and this is the first professional you've seen with your eyes at that point, right? Yeah. You've just seen Golf Illustrated. Well, the best player at Scunthorpe Golf Club was a seven handicap. Yeah. There was nobody below seven. Yeah. Uh, and and like I say, Ted, who was the pro, he was about seven because he was a greenkeeper in the morning and he changed hats at Love that it. time. You know, that, that it was, that's the way it was. And uh, anyway, we went and spent a day at Lindrick. And I was running around, you know, I, I remember I, uh, I put Diarese's divot back, you know. And players were all sort of in the fairway, spectators were in the fairway. You know, a guy would be swinging his, his driver and I touched the handle of it. You know, it was big, it was a big deal. Just, yeah, just yeah. Being there. These and guys, to be that close. These, these guys, yeah, I'd never seen anything like it. And we... We drove back, and uh, I got there was, it was still daylight, and I I played, went out and played nine holes and scored the best nine holes I'd ever shot in my life, and um, it was the same year that two things happened. Bobby Locke came to Scunthorpe Golf Club. In, in those days, you couldn't play sport on Sundays the Lord's Day Observance Society wouldn't allow it. So the pros, the top pros who were playing this pro circuit would go and play these exhibitions if there was some moolah involved. And uh, Bobby Locke came on his own and played with Ted Muscroft in an exhibition. This is the same year as Ryder Cup. Wow, yeah. I think it he might have come first, Locke. Uh, he might have been the thing that happened first. Anyway, they dispatched me off with the tote bag to the other end of the rain, uh, where he was hitting. They was hitting on the 18th fairway. And the first ball he hit, I'll never forget it. It went in and, and I eased it out. It plucked in the ground. I eased it out, wiped yeah. it off, put it in. The next ball he hit with an eight iron of butter, it went straight in the same plug. What? And I said, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Yeah. I said, God, hell's teeth, how good is this guy? Yeah. You know, I mean, it was Now, did you know who Bobby Locke was prior to that? Pardon? I mean, did you have an idea of who he was prior to that? Oh, oh well, I knew, but yeah. Just from I mean, Golf I Illustrated and Bobby yeah. Bobby Locke because of, yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, and of course, later on, I got to play with him. I mean, I, I went to South Africa. But uh, so those two experiences, you know, and then I, he played alongside Ted, this exhibition. And, um, 
you know, I went and watched that, and then on top of that, the Ryder Cup, and it became uh, the year my dad said, "No, we we need to get you a handicap." You know, we need to get you because I didn't have a handicap. I yeah, was like yeah, just playing. Yeah, I was just practiced and played, and nobody knew. So <laughs> it was in those days. You know, juniors were they were, they were just uh, treated like you know. I mean, you're in the way all right. The yeah, slow player because some of them probably were them. right. Yeah, just and messing around. So. To get a handicap, you had to put three cards in. And my dad, who was, you know, he was, like I say, steel worker, ordinary guy. And, uh, he, he he was insistent that I would, if when I got the handicap, I would, I'd get some silver, you know. Like that. Yeah. So he said, we're going to play these three rounds. And we played with some of his pals. And they kept my score. Uh, and he said, I want you to shoot 89, 90, and 91. That'll get you an 18 handicap. <laughs> so I did what I was told. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then there were three, there were three open days. Scunthorpe Home Hall, that was the other local course, and Elsham. That was a village uh, about 12 miles away. They all had open days. Anyway, long story short, I won them all. They were all off handicap. And by the end of it, they were all 36-hole things. And there was the Lincoln to Junior Championship that year, which was at Sleaford Golf Club, which is South Lincolnshire. Anyway, I won all four of those things. Uh, the Lincoln's boys wasn't off handicap; it was off scratch, you know. I was, I, so I beat everybody eighteen and under. I was thirteen, and wow. you know I, there were only about eight or ten. I've got a picture somewhere in there of me with the trophy, and uh, my my handicap at the end of that year was down to 12 wow and uh, and we'd managed to get the silver and a, a few sweep the sweep money you know you used to, to enter a sweep and stuff I didn't have any money my dad put yeah. me into and he didn't have any money you know so it was a it was a big deal you know if you got 20 pounds in a sweep or something it was, we're going back a long long time right and uh, but that got me really started and then I got you know by the time I got to 14 uh, I started to de develop uh, physically and uh, I got down to four handicap wow 12 uh, to 4 yeah and then when I was 15 I got down to 2 and I was p playing for the county so at 14 second year in you're better than the head pro at yeah. the club oh yeah I <laughs> but uh, um, you know that wasn't you know that wasn't difficult I mean he, he, he and I was you know I was in fairness I was playing golf all, all day long he wasn't he's taking he care played, of the course and the club he was and yeah. taking care of everything so um, 
you know, I got to become a county player on the men's. We would play against Lincolnshire, we'd play Yorkshire and Norfolk and, and other counties. I would rely on some of the other older members giving me lifts and, you know, getting me there and yeah. getting me home. And, uh, and of course, the other thing, I was immersed in this adult world. Absolutely. The whole time. You know, from from taking the game up. Yeah. Because at Scunthorpe Golf Club, there was only one other junior member, and I never saw him. So, you you end up in the company of of grown-ups the whole time. You know, and uh, that there was all this. You know, they didn't want me playing in tournaments, competitions. Uh, they said because they there was foul language involved. They didn't want a kid beating them. That's really it, right? Yeah. For sure. So, so we, you know, but th- th- that was a very significant thing. That the fact that I was just exposed to adults the whole time because I was, you know, I was learning grown-up ways. Absolutely, uh, and and so on, and. Uh, I left school at 15. Uh, I was not much of a student. Uh, I got the reading and writing bit. And uh, obviously I wanted to be a pro at this stage. Now, I don't, you know, the, the, the ambition uh, had become, you know, that my 13th year was significant. Now, when you say pro, do you mean, you know, Club professional, or were you thinking professional golfer? Was there a distinction? Yeah. I wanted to be a player, and but the only way into the game in those days was to be a player. You had to be an assistant, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, to 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 get into the game, and there was only one club in the county, which was Woodhall Spa, which is one of the great golf courses. Uh, that was the only club in the county of Lincolnshire then, and it was Lincolnshire was the second biggest county to Yorkshire, and so it was a big area. They've since split it, and it's now North Lincolnshire and South Lincolnshire, but it was a big county, but just one golf club could afford an assistant, and that was Woodhall, and uh, they already had one, and so... To turn pro meant leaving home, it meant having to leave home. And, you know, it was a bit sort of... At 15, bit, right? A bit at 15. And yeah. Then, you know, your parents are not really... And I was playing a lot of golf with my dad, and you know, obviously at that time, because he became a single-figure uh, handicap, good player. And uh, anyway, I ended up going into the steelworks, which is where... Ninety percent of the youth went after I left school that first year. Um, I, I went to Apple, Appleby Frodingham Steelworks. It's no longer there, I don't think. But uh, and I, I became an apprentice fitter, <laughs> which I hated. Uh, and uh, but you know you clocked in at seven thirty in the morning. I mean up to that point. I had paper rounds, and I worked in the Scunthorpe Market. I, I didn't tell you that, but from being about 11, I got 10 shillings a week uh, for taking papers out and uh, early mornings. And, 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 uh, 
and then at the weekends on Saturday mornings, there's an auctioneer used to come in Scunthorpe Market, and I, I got another ten shillings working for him, getting unloading the van and loading it. So I was, you know, I mean, money was always scarce. My dad, didn't, I didn't get any pocket money because there was nothing left over. But once, and uh, so I did that for a year and hated it, as I say, and. Part way through that, I started writing off, unbeknownst to anybody, to to apply for jobs. Because in the back of the Golf Illustrated, yeah, there were always, there was always job this, openings. Yeah, uh, and um, and I got an interview. The first place I wrote off to was Bakersfield, California, and I never got a reply <laughs> to that. But this. You know, Bill Shanklin, the guy, uh, Potter's Bar Golf Club in North London, had put an ad in. And uh, as I say, I was frustrated in the job at the Steelworks. My golf was, uh, I was struggling to maintain the standards. Cause yeah, because you're just working it, around it, the clock. working, you know. So I, I begged my dad to take me down to get this interview uh, to with Shankland, which he, which he did. This was in the sort of November of 1961. And we drove to London. There was no motorways in those days, so it took a bloody long time in an old Austin 7 or whatever it yeah. was, a banger, pre, pre-war car, you know, the stench of petrol, I can sit on the leather, the old leather and... Uh, Anyway, we got down there, you know, four or five hours, and uh, Shankland was a, a, a real character. I mean, he'd been the, he, in the, in the 30s. He'd been the captain of the Australian rugby league team. He was a hard nut, and of course, I didn't realise at this stage, but he was a bully to boot, you know, and uh, but he was also a salesman and uh, you know he was it was an opportunity for him to say to my dad oh he'll, he'll do great I've had 30, 35 assistants through here he says he'll do great you know this and the other and uh, and the money was more than I was earning at the steelworks really it was uh, at the steelworks I was getting three pounds fifteen shillings a week and Shankland uh, was offering six pounds a week, plus half of what I made teaching and playing. Wow! Huge difference. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, long story short, my dad's sitting there sucking all this up like I am, and he said, "Well, if, if that's what you want, you know, I mean, that's it." And so we go all the way back home and uh, the start date was the 1st of January 62 and uh, we make the long journey again back down and, and uh, bloody snow was up. it was a foot and a half of snow right. and of course Shankton didn't want to pay me for doing nothing so I still went <laughs> 
shovel clear off go back (laughs) didn't sign up for that and i said my dad can i afford to take me back and i said i've got a suitcase and five pounds i said you know this is it Uh, he was reluctant but uh, i stayed and i i got myself a place to stay one of the caddies who the potter's bar was on the main line railway uh, north to south and this caddy lived with his wife uh, about 200 yards from the club and uh, he, they said we'll put you up for a week until you find somewhere and I said you know how much is going to be it was £3.15 so that was Big whack out of my six, right, yeah. six pounds. Just lost half but of it. For that, it was food and keep, you know, and and uh, so they said it's just temporary. And uh, anyway, I ended up staying there for about seven years. Uh, I, it was became my base in London, really, even after I got married. And uh, Mr. and Mrs. Baker, they were fantastic. And we didn't have a phone, and so we used to. The correspondence was letters. You know, I would write, and they would write back, and that was it. And it was like, you know, seven months. For the first seven months, I never had a day off. I didn't dare ask Shankton for one, and he didn't offer me one. So how far into that before you played your first, like, professional tournament? Because it wasn't long after that you played in the Open for the first time, right? No, I know. And it happened very quick. Uh, because once the snow cleared and, you know, I was working uh, obviously at the course for 12 hours a day, practicing, hitting balls as much as I could as well. And it was in the, it would be in the spring of uh, 62, uh, that the Middlesex, Potter's Bar was in the county in Middlesex and, um, they they had the Middlesex County Championships, you know, pros, assistant pros and pros played. Anyway, I won the assistant uh, part of it, and I finished third, I think, in the uh, in the pro. And I remember going back the next day and Shanklin in the shop. You did all right yesterday, but you were lucky, weren't you? You know, Jeez, I mean, that was, yeah, that was his. That's that's you know, the kind that of credit he'd give of, you. Yeah, it was typical of his sort of uh, uh, way he said, well done. Anyway, you know, things, we got through that summer somehow. Like, as I say, he bullied. I, I didn't get much time off, not that I would have done much with it. Um, but it didn't take as long before, you know, we... We fell out. It came to a head. You know, he was nothing. You couldn't ever satisfy him for doing stuff. So uh, I, I told him, oh, I applied for another job locally. Of course, <laughs> not realizing that the, the guy I applied for rang Shankland and said, you know, oh no, what's this lad like? Yeah. You so know, he knew. He says, yeah. You know, he, he called me for everything, and and I said, look, I, you know, I, I don't want to work for you anymore, and that was it. The president of the club at Potter's Bar was a 
dear, became a dear friend, Johnny Rubens. He was a multi-millionaire, and he had big office, offices in Eaton Square in London. He came and requested a game with me, you know, two days into this sort of uh, ruptured uh, relationship I'd got with Shankland. And uh, I thought, this is odd, you know, why is he requesting it? And we played a couple of holes and he says, uh, how's your boss treating you? And I said, and I blurted it all out. <laughs> can't, can't, I can't deal with it. He said, well, well what are you going to do? And I said, uh, I don't know, because now it's the end of the summer. Yeah. I said, I hadn't really thought about it much. I said, I, you know, uh, but I mean, obviously I need to play golf. And I'd looked at, you know, South Africa and London was, you know, they were on the same, it was straight south. And they had this South African tour that uh, comprised of eight weeks, January to sort of uh, end of February. And uh, first prizes were like four hundred pounds, and so good money, that sort of thing. So I said, I thought about going down to South Africa. He says, Well, how much money have you got? I said, I've got three hundred and seventy-five pounds. That's what I'd saved since I'd been there with mm -hmm. and that sort of. And uh, he said, If I put, he says, How much is it going to cost to go down there? I said, Six hundred the tickets and that's if you stayed privately and yeah. people well, helped out yeah and uh, he said well if I put 200 in and I get Dunlop to put 200 in will you put 200 in I said absolutely yeah. and then and that's how again long story short got the ticket went down there went through the whole tour putting on bloody greens that I'd never seen, like grain like you've never seen. Really? And I won 30 pounds, I think. The whole? Of the whole eight weeks. <laughs> the whole eight weeks. And I, I was staying with these people, different people in Joburg. A guy called Danny Martin was fantastic. He wanted to take me to the Kruger Park. And at the end of eight weeks, all I wanted to do was get home. It's, I'd never been away yeah, before. Right. And uh, I was desperately homesick. And, uh, of course, as soon as I could, <laughs> my feet touched the ground in London, I could, you know what? Because yeah, you, when you're that homesick, you imagine, I don't know. Absolutely, yeah. Everything's perfect. Everything, and Yeah. And I thought, what a pot, you know, uh, not not doing the, uh, didn't take me 24 hours to realize that had been a mistake, not taking him up on that. But, uh, you know, the summer came, and despite not playing well in South Africa, it was all that experience was pay, paying off. And Was this 63? This was 63. And, and, uh, the British circuit and the Irish circuit, Britain, Ireland, Scotland, obviously, 
Great Britain. I mean, well. this is also, what, it's nine years before the foundation of the European tour. Yeah. And Mr. Rubens was still there. They, they said that, he said, and the irony was he was doing it through Shankland because it was, so I still had this sort of tie in, you know, with the club. And they said, they'd pay my expenses if I didn't make them. That was the arrangement. Well, I hardly went to, you know, uh, I, I managed, it was an opportunity to play. Absolutely. Which is really what yeah. I wanted. And I kept showing up. I mean, we're talking about in the days when the bed and breakfast was 22 and 6. That's just a, a, a pound and, and an eighth. And, and uh, you'd get bed and breakfast at all these different places. You know, we'd hunt around. I got a little car, an Austin A30. Uh, and then I changed that to a Morris Minor. But so you're driving from tournament to tournament? Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, that's yeah. What, are, what's the, what are the courses like? Well, in those days, you, you know, there were very, very few uh, modern courses. There were uh, none. Yeah. You know, so we were, we were playing for the most part, you know, the Port Marnocks, the Walton Heath. Wow. So great Wells, courses. It's not even like a... Just... No, they were the old... Yeah. Old uh, yes. uh, St. George's Hill, Royal St. George's... Uh, the majority of the places we played were historic venues, uh, Glen Eagles, and uh, but the main thing that happened that year was that I made the cut at Lytham, where Bob Charles beat Phil Rogers in a playoff, and I finished thirtieth. What was that like? I mean, you had what qualifying well, was, at Fairhaven, right, in '63 on the James Braid course, playing alongside Max Faulkner, yeah, who'd won the Open in '51 at Portrush, and uh, I mean, you're I, playing against Max. I mean, you are, yeah. do you have nerves? I mean, well, I knew by then. I mean, I was all on that road, and I, you know, I wanted to be. You know, I'm now 19. And I wanted to be the best player in the world. I put that in the, my mind, you know. And if you're going to be the best player in the world, you've got to play the best. You've got to beat everybody. Absolutely. And so Max was somebody I learned from. He was, uh, you know, obviously a great player. Not easy, not an easy character for a youngster, but, you know, he didn't give anything away. But I enjoyed playing with him and, and Di Reese, Neil Coles, Dave Thomas, Peter Alice. All of those guys became my sort of mentors in a way. And, and uh, we used to play these exhibitions on a Sunday that, oh, that, that Bobby, I referred to Bobby Locke playing in in the 50s. Uh, we used to do a thing on Sundays uh, for Lord Roberts Workshop Charities. And uh, Molly Philpot, she ran that thing. And there were a group of us. The names that I just mentioned, George Will was another one. Um, and we'd go and we'd play on Sundays and we'd get 40 pounds. Uh, and, you know, think we'd had a good day. 
and drive back to wherever the hell we were going the next week. And you just sort of got into this sort of uh, routine. But uh, that that win, uh, that that four four day qualifying for the Open was ended up being a big big deal. I mean, I had to borrow five pounds off one of the members at Potter's Bar to get back by train to Potter's Bar. Um, I, you know, I hadn't got the car yet in 63. It enabled me to get a car. And I, you know, because I had to to get around. And uh, it, I ended up playing through that uh, summer, wherever we played, yeah. wherever we went. And inevitably, the winter's coming along again. What are you going to do? Mr. Rubin says to me. And I said, well, you know, better go back to South Africa and try and, uh, you know, at least I know what I'm getting into this right. time. How much is it going to cost? 600 pounds. <laughs> well, he said, uh, he gave me another 100. He says, I mean, I've paid half. You know, if you include the 200. I went back to pay him the 200 and instead I came away with another 100 and I put the other 50% in and I went back and I ended up winning the last t tournament I played in Kimberley in South Africa that year I won a thousand pounds oh wow which yeah. was, was your biggest payday so far right yeah and I'd had a good time doing it and I was uh, actually tied I didn't I won the tournament but I tied Harold Henning who became a great friend. And uh, it's interesting because Bobby Locke and uh, Trevor Wilkes and a lot of those guys from that era, they all encouraged me to get on the first tee because Harold had gone. He'd, he'd had to go and he had an arrangement with a sponsor that, uh, you know, he, he had to leave. Whatever happened and that was fine. And... I, I, I said, there's no way I'm going to tee it up. And, you know, Harold's a friend of mine. And we, so we... Shared. Oh, so by D, he DQ if you teed it up, essentially. Yeah, yeah. 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 I could have, I could have, you know. I said, I'm never going to do that with Harold. I mean, yeah. that's not going to happen. And uh, so anyway, I made a thousand and uh, came back. And, and he just kept... Each year, became, I was climbing. Yeah. Oh, you did well in what? The 65 and 66 opens as well, right? Yeah. So you were yeah. definitely making your mark. I was in, in there, and I won a tournament in Northern Ireland. In 60, I met my first wife in, uh, in uh, 65, I guess it was. And uh, we got married in May of 66, and we... We traveled the world, you know. Uh, I was just trying to... Uh, each year I was gaining confidence and making a bit more money. Uh, we bought two round-the-world air tickets with Pan Am. I remember having a picture taken and we're sort of holding... the. Uh, there was six or seven foot long, these tickets. I mean, right. Oh, really? Yeah. Milk run. We were... We, you know, we were in Hong Kong. We we spent the, the uh, 
Christmas in New Zealand. We were all over New Zealand. There was a New Zealand circuit then. We are playing in Australia. And then we would go from there to the Far East, you know, to Bangkok or wherever the hell it was. And, and all the time we would be trying to contact people ahead, you know, who were... Um, you know, could we stay with? Yeah, arranged. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't, couldn't afford it otherwise. Couldn't afford to in hotels and that sort of thing. So, uh, and uh, at, at some juncture on that sort of Far East uh, route, that year, I won the New Zealand PGA Championship in January of 1967. I beat Martin Rosink. Dutchman in a playoff. He was a handsome, great guy, a long hitter. And I won that, and, you know, I was picking up things, and, and then I got a call, I got a telegram uh, inviting me to play in the Masters tournament. And that was an unusual story with that. Well, I, you know, as much as I can remember, I can, Neil Coles, uh, there, there, were, there were four invites for the UK, and Neil Coles had had a terrible uh, experience in, at a Ryder Cup in Palm Springs. The, the, the plane dropped at 10,000 oh, feet. Yeah, can't do that in Palm Springs. <laughs> he said, that's it. I'm never going to fly again. So he, was, he never Whoa. got an airplane after that. And uh, so he was fourth in the order of merit, which meant that it went down to five. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I was fifth man. So... Um, I got the spot, and uh, obviously, you know, once I'd, I'd fulfilled the obligation, we made a plan to to fly to Augusta from wherever the hell we were. I can't, I can't, I'd be lying if I said I could remember. It's, it's 54 years. Was that your first trip to the United States at that point for golf? It was not. The, the first trip was in 1965. I qualified to play in the um, Carling World Tournament at Worcester, Massachusetts. Mm. And uh, Paul Harney was the pro at the club. And that was my first taste of it. Christy O'Connor, senior, old Christy, he played well that week. He was getting drunk on the plane all bloody night long trying to keep it. And I had to... It was... It was on the way back, we'd had a rain day, a rain, and I was coming back in. This is in '65. I'm I'm backing up a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Because I was playing in the Gorey Assistance Championship at Hartsbourne in North London, and uh, I had to tee it up the next day. I'd got them to give me a late tee time, uh, no practice round, and I remember making a putt to make the cut. And I put to get in the playoff, and I won the playoff. After that was a, that was a big deal. The Gore, there was, Gore assistance. That was part of, you know, just gaining experience. But the, the two big, the Coombe Hill and the Gore assistance were two big assistance events, and I won them both. Um, but um, you know, by the time I got to Augusta, you know, I'd. I'd <laughs> It'd been a whirlwind, you know, for three or four. Yeah, you've years. been traveling the world, right? A whirlwind, and I mean, we 
we we were having a great time, uh, you know, uh, doing it. And uh, I play there, and I'm leading the tournament after the eighth hole in the third round. I'm playing with Bobby Nichols. And to this day, Bobby's down the coast here, but he, he says, I thought you were going to win that. You know, but I, I hadn't got that kind of experience. Well, all of a sudden, this is a major championship, and uh, anyway, the wheels came off. And let, well, let me ask you that, because I know we're going to get into your, your, your two open wins, uh, Open and U.S. Open. When you say that, what kind of medal did it take to win a major championship? Without going into the U.S. Open and the Open Championship, like, what do you mean? Like, you've done it. There's not a lot of people that have won an, a major championship. What kind of medal differentiates the person who can win it and the person who's just kind of going through the strokes? Well, firstly, you have to have uh, visualized it. You've, you know, you, you've, you've got to put yourself in, in that position mentally. To, to, and then if you're fortunate enough to have the opportunity, you're not shocked. Yeah. So this is the importance of a mental, you know, the mental approach to everything. We saw Phil the other day. Unbelievable. Just, you know, slowing everything down, just digesting everything. Uh, and, and, and obviously, he, he'd won five before this one. But, you know, he realized that, you know, it never gets easier and it's never easy. But it's a, a mental process that, uh, and you have to be sure of yourself. You know, and that's why we, that's why we play. That's why I played and travelled and did all the things I did, to to give myself the best opportunity I could to be as good as I could be. It, it so it was just too. It was too early, though, is what you're saying at the Masters. Well, it was. I'd never, I'd never got in front of a world stage. I, first of all, I got paired with Arnold Palmer. <laughs> That's tough. That's, that's tough. Playing, you know, that's like playing with Jesus Christ. When were you paired with Arnold? In the which first round? Two rounds. But I mean, you were one off the lead after the first I two know, rounds. But, and I kicked his ass. <laughs> but, but that, you know, that again was a good experience. Yeah. It was, it was something that if you can play in that environment, I mean, when you know that nobody yeah. gives a shit whether right. you're going to be. And you're playing next to the king that's on it. his turf. And, wow. and he never says. All he does is sniff if you hit a good shot. You know, like, <laughs> is that right? Oh, yeah. He's not like I mean, good shot or... Never. I mean, really? Not, not that Arnold. is hilarious. Jackwood, but not Arnold. That is hilarious. How Just a sniff. that in front of me? You know? <laughs> I'm the one that's supposed I'm to the king. Be. Bow. And, uh, but, so, you know, that was... Uh, it was the first... I played with him... Uh, I'm jumping back and forth a little bit, but in '66, uh, I during this journey, I got picked to play for England with, alongside Peter Alice in uh, the World Cup in Yomiuri, uh, Japan, and we got drawn with Nicholas and Palmer in, I can't remember which round, second or third. And I mean, it's like in those days, every Japanese had four cameras. Right 100%. <laughs> they all made noises back then. And playing with those, and of course, they were mad for golf, the Japanese. And, 
you know, all but all these experiences were exposing me to the kind of pressure, you know, I was going to have to face. But, um, you know, when I found myself leading the Masters at Augusta as a 23-year-old, my first attempt, you know, it's on the second trip I ever had to America. Yes. Although I, I knew that's where I needed to be, America, but it was still overwhelming, and it got it got the better of me. And, so it was the know, third round you had the lead up until which hole did you say well, eight after the eight? So yeah. What what happened? In, like in your mind, like well, you, you know what happens is you get out of the moment, and 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 uh, you uh, you know I, I think I shot seventy seven the last round. I've ended up finishing some sixteenth or something. Uh, and, Amazing but, finish still for a first time really ever seeing the course, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a good, uh, it was a good show, I suppose. But and and I came out out of the whole thing learning again. You know, you don't. Uh, you know, I mean, many people have said it. You don't learn much winning. I mean, it's it's. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I was able to look back on that. And, and recognize where I'd gone wrong. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I, I ended up later that year, uh, first holding one on television, winning the British Masters. Um, you go into the 67 Open, obviously in good shape. Yeah, Your game's in fifth, great shape. Fifth, yeah, fifth, I mean, you played fifth. fantastic in that. Yeah, I did play well. And so you know, I'd 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 learned from that that uh, masters uh, masters experience, and then but most important thing that happened that year, well, the hole in one was I actually can't believe that I I think it's the only one ever the first one ever televised anyway. I think you're right. Yeah, it was just seen, on Twitter the other day. No, I've never seen. I said to my eldest son. Uh, Brad, I said, you know, I've never heard of or seen another one before that. Mm -hmm. Because in those days, they only televised the last three holes. Yeah, and if so you really had to get it then. I know, you're out of luck. So, but the most important thing that happened that year, uh, really, I mean, was getting my tour card. You know, the time had come to come and try and qualify to play in America and uh, uh, that was at Palm Beach Gardens the old PGA National which is now uh, whatever the hell they call it Uh, anyway it's just down the road and uh, you know I I wasn't doing uh, it was eight rounds and anyway I ended up shooting 68 the last round it was a it was a a good field that year there was a lot of uh, Good players, uh, Walker Cup players, Bob Murphy, Ron Cerudo, Bob Dixon, big names uh, from the amateur, American amateur side. So it was, anyway, it was a relief to get my tour card, and I think I think I went, I think we went, uh, I think we went straight to Hawaii, and you know, and then we were we were, we were getting now to where we were. We had a bit of money, and mm-hmm. uh, we we didn't have to call it for for help, as it were. Uh, and 
my I went back I think to the UK to get my breath back for a few weeks and uh, we started in LA you know with the LA Open uh, in 68 and uh, I went to Las Vegas in 68 I met McCormack which is a wish I'd never done but that's another story but I'd got involved with IMG and uh, I was in Australia again you know went down there for the Australian Open all of a sudden I've got this sort of international schedule Australia Japan America trying to play Europe as well this is still um, and I was yeah wearing yourself out I'm sure yeah and uh, but still, um, you know, '68 and, and having the free reign to play the American tour was uh, was where we wanted to be. It was, it was, uh, and then of course, winning at Jacksonville in '68 was a big, big, big deal. Again, playing with Palmer in the final round and on January. Unbelievable. I mean, these were two. You know, I mean, Arnold was, uh, and uh, you know, I managed to pull it off. Uh, you said you said before we started recording that you know you didn't have a a an instructor that you felt like not only that you had to dig it out of the ground, but you learned from playing better players. So w- was this a critical you know component of you becoming yeah. you know a major oh, champion? Is just yeah. testing your metal. I mean. It's- I made up my mind. That was the only way I was ever going to learn was from people that were better than me. How, it, what would you pick up? Give me an example. Like you're playing with Arnold Palmer. Like what do you take away? I'd watch him. All, yeah. I'd watch him closely all the time. I'd watch the grip and you know, all those things that I knew were the fundamental things. I'd, I'd done them, got them right. I, I was absolutely... Um, I, I was... I'd seen so many bad golfers, and I saw what people did to mess up, and and how that you can't mess with golf, you know it won't it won't be messed with, you know you have, yeah. you have a fundamental fault, and when the pressure's high enough, it'll it's the it it's bites. the weak link. Yeah, hundred percent. And and, and uh, but beyond that, you know it was it became a mental. You know, I was I was I was very mentally tough. My my early experiences in America weren't all pleasant. I mean, yeah, going to you'd that, be playing against some of these old school guys. You know, Bob Golby, Gardner Dickinson, uh, Dan Sykes. Uh, they hated foreign players. Yeah, they, they, they thought you were invading their tour yeah, yeah. essentially. And, yeah, and they would make it as unpleasant for you as, as they could. Bobby Locke learned that the hard way, right? That's right. I mean, they punished him and basically kicked yeah. him off the tour. That's right, because he couldn't fulfill it. The, the, he won the Tamashanta, I think, and he couldn't fulfill all these obligations. Yeah, going sponsorship down the road. stuff. So yeah, they, he had a schedule. We got gotcha. you. Yeah, and, unbelievable. And they, they but did you felt that yourself? I mean, years later, obviously, but did you well, feel I that? Mean, yeah, I experienced a lot of that. I mean, I, play, I remember playing with Dan Sykes at Doral, leading the last day and teeing up on the nine and I'm putting and out of the blue he says I played with Tommy Aaron here last year and he was leading he went in the water oh I mean 
Uh, you know, and yeah. I, I went in the water. I mean, but there was there was a lot of that. So, if you don't succumb to it, you you get over it. It makes you stronger. It, it makes you stronger. Damn right. Yeah. And and this was this was all part and parcel of of the process of the learning process. And you know, I very I learned early on that you've got to stay in the present, in the moment, and you you can't deviate from that. And the more you want something, the more likely you are to want to know what the outcome's going to be. So this this uh, and of course there was nobody better at it than, than uh, Tiger. The Tiger probably was. I mean, Nicholas was pretty good at it, but uh, you know, there was uh, some of those old guys. I mean, I didn't realize until the other day. You know, Nicholas has played in 160 majors. I played in 41. Gary Plays played in 151, I think. Yeah. Hogan played in 27 and won nine. Unbelievable, isn't it? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. They, they re. You know, that Bob Drum, uh, the Pittsburgh guy, Arnold Disciple, he really re- got, got the, the media guys around when Arnold won those two Opens. And they rewrote the record books on majors. You know, they mm-hmm. made the majors. Absolutely. It definitely popularized the, and, you know, the professional Grand yeah. Slam. And, I mean, Hogan never defended. Sneed never defended their Opens. You know, you know. Uh, Bobby Jones didn't half the time. He just a lot of people just would win it. Hagen didn't always go back. It's crazy. Yeah. So there's a lot to know, and uh, you know, uh, if 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 you know Jack, all of a sudden the percentage. If he's played in 160 and he's focused his whole career on him, 18's not as many as you might think. But uh, I'm not taking anything away from no, get that, it. that feat. It yeah. was it's amazing. But, uh, but anybody knows it's uh, and Jones and uh, most great champions have said it's it's uh, it's, uh, it's a mental deal. It's not nothing physical, and uh, you know if you can play golf, it's it's about. Uh, visualizations, uh, savvy. I play, you know, watching guys, watching Gary play. You know, seeing somebody like Gary, who had a god awful swing half the time. He threw himself at the ball trying to keep yeah, up with start walking game. down the fairway before he sw- finished you know, the swing. It seemed like right. I mean, unbelievable. He was fighting the hook all, all the, but to done. You know what he's done, and it's just a mental mental process that uh, you know it's a never say die thing and uh, it's that's what makes champions so 68 it it really kind of honed your skills for 69 obviously the open being a pivotal year you're going back to royal Leatherham and st anne's which was the site of your first open tournament yeah what's your game like going into the 69 open I mean, did you? It was all right. I it mean, wasn't I was, like it wasn't fine tuned. You didn't no, go in like this I is was, mine to win. I was playing here the early part of the year, and uh, but what 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 was uh, encouraging was you know getting to the course, and it was 
unlike it had ever been before, there was like a um, kind of expectation from the galleries, you know. Mm -hmm. from the to, day, For you? Yeah. Oh, really? The day I walked on the course for the practice round, there was a lot of interest. I could sense it. Yeah. And people cared about what... Well, that, was, that can help you or it can hurt you, clearly. Well, I know, but it was a positive thing as far as I was going. Because over here, you know, it was just Palmer and Nicholas. Player had a few, you know, but it was basically the Americans that everybody... And it, it, if, that, if it's a positive, nervous energy, you, you, you can react to it. At the end of the day, what are we? We're actors. We, you know, put a stage and we want to show off. We Absolutely. Show everybody how yeah. we are. And I, I sensed there was an anticipation there from the galleries. And, you know, in those days, my parents used to follow the tour around. They would be there as well. And, uh, and uh, you know, I was sort of, uh, I was ready. Lynx golf was my favorite form of golf. It was where... You needed to use your imagination. And, uh, uh, you know, I got off to a steady start. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything spectacular. You didn't feel like it was a spectacular showing. No, and, and, and it's very hard to do spectacular things on Lynx golf courses because there's so many variables come into it, bounces. And you have to accept you're going to get bad bounces and so and And on that pretext, nobody took a run at me either. You know, I mean, I... I I played good, solid, steady golf. I was in control of my swing. I'd learnt to use my lower body, uh, my legs. Uh, this was a big lesson that I learnt from Weisskopf and Yancey and all the great American players. Yeah, walk us through that. What do you mean by that well, for the, the golfer who's listening? I, by the time we got to 66, I was, I was good, but I was inconsistent. And near the end, when it got near the finish line, I would get quick. Anybody gets nervous, rushes. And I knew I had to figure a way out to slow my swing down. And I came over and befriended Weisskopf and Yancey after the tour school in 67. We went to Hawaii together, for example, a week before the tournament. We stayed at the Helakalani Hotel on the... Beach there, but we were playing golf. We were talking golf. We were practicing. We were all wanting to be better. Mm -hmm. Weisskopf's mentor was Bolt. You look at Bolt. You look at Nelson. You look at Middlecoff. You look at all of these great players. Hogan. The the, the lower body led the Hogan secret, firing the legs just before he got the club to the top of the backswing. The lag. I mean, he had that double jointed. It was unbelievable perfection. You couldn't, you can't, not everybody could do that. I mean, it's just, but most importantly, the legs had to start the downswing. And what you're and saying, the, prior, you didn't do that. Is that what you're saying? No, I was, my upper body yeah. was trying to overtake my legs. Interesting. And I, I learned by hitting thousands of seven irons. Seven iron was a transition club. It was a full swing, but you weren't gonna. You didn't have to hit it, you know, hard. And Weisskopf did it. Bolt did it. 
you know, as I said, a string of these other great players. And it allowed me to control the speed of my swing, whatever the circumstances were. Uh, for example, uh, well, at the Open was the first, I mean, the concession, where we both hit our second shots into the last green. There was no, there was no rush. There was no it's just rush. following the lead. It was just, I, I had it. I, that was the final, final thing that brought my, you know, uh, determined my ability to be able to stand up to that kind of pressure. I had the mental toughness, and all of a sudden I had that final, the final piece of the puddle, if you like, was, was controlling the speed of the swing. Uh, under under the b- biggest amount of pressure. What was there a moment during the '69 Open where you knew? Well, I knew I had it going in. I'd you learned, did yeah, really? I knew yeah. I had the, that ability going in, and I mean, I was playing shots going downwind, for example, on on uh, four. I could. I was feeling. I was so into the swing. I was. I could. Felt like I could slow my hands down and not spin the ball. Wow. Any, you know, I wow. Just, yeah. I wanted it to go with no spin, so it would bounce yeah. forward. Not, and you not, felt like you had that control. Yeah. I, oh, like what does that even feel like? I mean, I'm never well, gonna know what that feels like. You've got to marry that in. You've got to marry that in with. The, Breezes blowing and, and, and bumps and, and, and yeah and all no. of that all of the goings on, but um, I I I mean the swing I well, the, the swing I made on eighteen, you know it was the best one of the best swings I ever made you know and and I remember what I was thinking, TJ this is you've done this thousands of times wide and smooth. And and you know Henry Longhurst's comment was what a corker, the you know the longest all day whatever you know I looked up down to that site right there behind you and uh, you know the final hurdle as it were, and uh, because the thing about that tee shot but especially then not now so much, but there was there was nowhere to go to play safe. A one iron wouldn't have got. I couldn't have got over the cross bunker with a one iron. Uh, I had to hit a driver, and it had to be perfect. And I, I was very aware that Dave Thomas, Eric Brown, a couple of other Christie, maybe, they'd all come to grief on this final hole because you can't get on the green from any of those bunkers. When you're playing the '69, let's just stick with the '69 Open. Are there moments where you're out there? I mean, obviously, you, you don't play a perfect round every round. You have bogeys. How do you keep doubt from creeping in? I mean, there must be moments where you're like, damn it, I, I, there's no reason I should have bogeyed that hole. How do you, like, reset? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, that's a, you know, a good question. But there's, there's always that, you know, little guy sitting on your shoulder trying to get into your ear. Is there? I mean, I know there is for me. No, I don't know if that's for you. It's yeah. like, you know, Murphy's never far away. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you can screw up, you know, I mean, but you've got you've got to be strong enough. And this is why visualization is so important that uh, I'm, I'm, and being and staying positive. Um, you know, uh, golf, I mean, to 
there's there's a lot of luck involved. And when when I say luck, I mean a putt going in yeah, rub at of the, the green. right time. Yeah, is you know it it can help salvage your confidence uh, for that particular day. Uh, that happened to me at at, at uh, Hazeltine on the nine screen on the final day. So you know, putt went in. It could have gone. On, could have gone six foot past and, and I'd yeah. missed the return. My, my nerves were jangling a bit. And that pot going in, it just, like a water repelled on a duck's back. It's, uh, uh, but you know, this is why we play. I mean, this is, it's, it's, it's a hell of a, it's a tough, tough uh, business to be in. And um, you've got to be tough to deal with it. So, so your victory came 99 years after young Tom Morris retired the championship belt, 79 years after John Ball became the first Englishman to win the Open. You joined the English tradition of Open champions, which included Harry Varden, J.H. Taylor, Ted Ray, Henry Cotton, and a dozen men prior to your 1969 championship. It's a whopping 18 years after Max Faulkner had become the last man to win from the United Kingdom to win the Open. What point did that hit you? That you had resealed English dominance within the Open. That had to be a moment for you. Or, or where, where, I guess, let me ask this: Was it present when you're playing the last 18 holes? Is that seeping in, or are you just focused on what's? Hand? You don't want to get ahead of yourself, I'm no, sure. No, no, I just stayed. As I say, stayed in the in the moment. I remember coming down the 14th fairway. I've, this is in books. I've, I've, I remember coming down the 14th fairway the final day and wondering whether an hour from now Lord Derby would presenting me would be presenting me with a claret jug, and I smacked myself for real, like literally hit yourself. Yeah, I literally smacked myself. Stop it! You cannot go there. And I knew, I knew it was, uh, you know, it, it was that. Um, that importance, and, and, and you know, we, we say, like I say, I can't stress enough, the more you want something, the more you want to know the outcome. So it's a discipline, and at the end of the day, that's what golf is, it's discipline. It's being disciplined and not, not uh, d determined and disciplined, and uh, all, this, all, all the things, a lot of them are very easy to say. But um, it's it's tough. It's the hardest game around, and uh, if you don't need any other hobbies, if you want to be good at golf, uh, <laughs> so true. You know, you're probably better off without them. Uh, yeah, absolutely right. It's uh, it's it's the full it's the full examination, and uh, you know, character-wise, and all the rest of it. And there's no. There's no room to be a braggart or you know any of that. As soon as you start thinking that you're, as, you know, you're you're better than anybody else, that's when it that's when it turns on. Yeah. Um, what I've learned is to never say I figured something out because right. as soon as I say those words, yeah. it doesn't Stay work. Stay humble. Stay humble is uh, is is uh, is the key. Positive but humble. So few people have done this in the history of time. What is it like holding up the claret jug and being the open champion? 
Well, it was, uh, you know, it was fantastic. But, you know, it was part of the journey. I'd, having experienced everything I had to experience to get there in the first place, it, it was a natural progression, if, if, if you know what I mean. I'm not sort of trying to be blasé no, about no. it. No, no. You had an expectation. It was the reality. I mean... Uh, the, 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 really, the best thing I did, I, I suppose, I'm not, and I'm, people don't, I, I don't think, I don't think there's anybody else from Europe ever had the two opens together. I don't think that, not from Europe. Harry Varden. I don't think he had Harry a Varden together. won the 1900 uh, U.S. Open. So you're in good company. And did he win the British Open? Oh, yeah, wait, six times, right? Yeah, but that same year. Oh, no, not the same year. No. Well, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, that's, together. yeah. I had them both together. Within 11 months. One month. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, that is something that nobody else has done. So yeah. That means more to me personally than, <laughs> all, the, all, than all the other than, things. Than, uh, all the other things. But, you know, it's somebody that may, may do it. Uh, who knows? But it gets getting progressively harder. Uh, especially for Europeans, because if you don't live here and all the rest of it. So. Well, let's talk about that. So you, you've won the Open Championship. You're traveling to Hazeltine, Minnesota, which it, maybe if you could share a little bit of the story. of. So Hazeltine was not an established club like Oakmont or Winged Foot or some of the traditional U.S. Open venues. Maybe share a little bit about the story of Hazeltine, because it was a relatively new course. Well, it was it was... It was a wild place. Uh, th that would be my... It was wild, very wild on the plains. Uh, uh, you know, you could, you could see the weather getting angry in the winters, and you could... You, you wouldn't feel want it. to be there in the winter. Yeah, you know yeah. It was, it was... had the capability of being a wild... Uh, place, and of course, uh, it was new. There were a lot of dog legs, blindish holes. Not that that bothered me, because I'd been weaned. You know, played in these links in the days when they didn't, when there were still blind shots. Yeah, I was going to say blind shots were all over. So yeah, and uh, but the real, the real thing there was the first day. <laughs> It blew a hoolie. Yeah. Nicholas, I think, shot an 80, right? I think... Um, Gary... An 81? Jack and Arnold... Arnold was 79. 79. Yeah. 79, 80, 81. And, and I actually... I think I double bogeyed 17 th that first day, but I shot 71, which was the only score under par. And half the field shot 80 or worse. Half the field. Yeah. I looked that it up. It's oh, crazy. It Half the field. It was diabolic. How do you shoot a 71 under those conditions? But I'd been weaned Is it Lynx golf? Well, I'd been weaned on Lynx golf. Yeah. I was used to the wind. I'd perfected this, or I thought I had, the swing of the, the you know, getting. And uh, I'd got this putting tip from, from Bert Yancey's brother, Jim. He was an older guy. And he followed his practice round, the final practice round. And I, I was, putting was not not good. I was, you know, looking for something. And he just said, have you ever 
tried looking at the hole when you putt. Oh, I had no idea you did that uh, in the tournament. I, well, I didn't. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, I went to the rain, uh, to putting green and we threw balls down and he said, okay, you dress the thing, you know, look at the hole, putt. And I, I got this wonderful uh, feel for distance and I knew I couldn't do it in the t- tournament, but I did everything but do it. I gave it the long last look. Love it. Got it back, boom. It's like mentally it, you're it doing in, it. Yeah. While it was in there, yeah. I putted. So mentally you're looking at the hole when you're putting. <laughs> Is that really it? I mean, that was... Ap- yeah. Apart from, apart from two putts on the final day, on seven and eight, I missed two five-footers, four-footer and a five-footer, one for a bogey and one for a birdie. And I got on the ninth screen and I hit the putt from 30 feet too hard. And he hit the back of the hole and jumped up and went in. And that's when there's a picture in yeah. sports, whatever the hell. Arms. And I'm there. Yeah. And that was the moment uh, that the pressure left. Because I had this four-shot lead. And yeah, I, you had a good lead. And I knew if I didn't win. Yeah. If I didn't bring the bacon home with a four-shot lead, I would be branded, a, a, you know, a choker. Or so whatever. is that the guy on your shoulder again? That's him. Right and there. he's saying he was, that in your head? Right well, I'm, I'm not letting him win, yeah. but I'm, I'm just trying to stave him off, yeah. you know, keep him. And uh, you've got this battle going on, but as soon as that putt went in, I, I I enjoyed the back nine. I mean, I and and I can remember standing over the thirty footer on a final green, saying, "What a way to end a week this would be." And I'm hitting the and that's, that's unbelievable. And I'm hitting the part as I'm thinking, uh, and of course it goes in, and then I, the putter spills out of my arm. It was like the dream. Yeah, the dream week is yeah. the best week of golf I ever had. It was the best. Uh, week of putting i ever had and i couldn't have picked a better time to do it for a year at a u.s open so your your open championship you you kind of attributed to learning to use your lower body and what you're saying is the u.s open it was really really that putting well, yeah lesson, but that was still still obviously yeah obvi- yeah it's I always gonna never, be with you i could never have done it you know in the wind as it was the first two days i mean uh first day especially i mean uh and when you when you're playing in a wind that's howling like that, you know, I I'd learned early on in England, on playing those links golf courses, to use the wind. Don't fight, use it, use it to the best of your ability. I mean, I was never gonna one for uh, if there was right to left wind, tried to cut it to keep it. Str- yeah. Hit it out to the right and let the wind bring it. Yeah. That's the way. Don't I, fight conversely it. Conversely, left, you know, into the wind. Don't jump on it, you know, just keep control it. Control it with your hands. And uh, so I'd, I'd, all that experience was part of the armory going into that, uh, that U.S. Open. And uh, it was a dream. You know, obviously a dream come true that uh, winning that. I think the U.S. Open 
This is just a personal view. Sure. I think it's the hardest one to win. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people would agree with you. They, yeah. The setup's usually just... That's right. Speaking of that, I'm going to quote Dave Hill. I think we talked about this before I started yeah. recording. He famously said that Hazeltine was only missing 80 acres of corn and a few cows. Yeah. Uh, complaining about the U.S. Open isn't new. Uh, it's quite commonplace. In almost every U.S. Open, we hear complaints. Your recollections of Hazeltine, were the complaints, were the complaints justified with it only being eight years old, or was it just like the complaints we hear almost every year about U.S. Open venues? There was an element of there was an element of truth to, to what Dave was saying, but you know Dave was a very volatile guy. Like, I mean, I don't know whether he was on the toot or, or whether he was on drugs or what. But I mean, some of the time you'd look at his his eyes and and you know, and he, of course, he there was no love uh, love lost. I mean, he was the guy. In '68, he sat right next to me at the players' meeting when Beeman's announcing that we're splitting from the PGA and all the rest. And Dave stood up and he says, "I don't think foreign players should be allowed to play here." I said, "Sit, sit down, right next you, to you. Sit right there." <laughs> I said, "Just sit, speak your mind, Dave. Sit down, you miserable son." Right? You oh know, my God, I that's mean, hilarious. But he was—he he was that—he was outspoken like that. And of course, the media was covering a lot of that that bilge that was spewing out of his mouth and i i just figured well less, less heat for me let him let him write about him i mean uh, yeah. you know, my my job once once you once you establish a lead in a, a major championship like that if you are made of the right stuff you get engaged at a higher level mentally you 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 realize you've created an opportunity as a as a competitor and and you it gets your attention if you know what i'm saying many's the time you go out and it's just oh christ it's an ordinary you, you know how how often have we said well you can't win the first day but you can lose and we've seen it last week uh, you, you know if you're going to shoot a 74 or 5 the first day very, very hard. Yeah, to you've get already put yourself in a hole. Back in it uh, for anybody, and and but we get engaged. That's what Phil did last week. He, he he's he's such a competitor. Once he established himself at the top of the heap, he he fought to keep that. He was engaged at that yeah. higher level menta- mentally. Well, we'll come back to this, but let me ask you because you brought up Phil. So did you did you watch the PGA Championship? Oh yeah. You've done this before, right? I mean, you, you've been in those shoes. You've won multiple major championships. You you hear some of the the talk about you know him talking to himself and slowing his breathing. What's your takeaway from that? Like, I, and not just for you know how you take it, but like if you're if you're talking to, let's say there's a, a a young golfer listening to this right now, this podcast. What kind? What can you tell them about what Phil did in that moment and what they might be able to learn from it? Well, I mean, you could see firsthand. I mean, you've got a television, you've got a clearest picture of what this guy went through to get it done. I mean, he, he, well, there was no stone unturned in his mind. He, he used all his skills and his experience to, to get that done. Nobody on the planet has ever done it before. This this is territory that's new for everybody. We saw Watson. I saw Watson go through it. 
uh, you know, maybe just a little bit too much adrenaline on the mm, A-time. That the hurts so bad. Don't bring that up. I know, it's terrible. <laughs> I it's still terrible, I can't but sleep I, over it. Yeah. It, it, it irks me to this day. It was such an amazing performance. on the 59 golf years old. I've played hundreds of times. Yeah. I know that golf course, too. And But, you know, you're in a position to, 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 to do something nobody else has ever done. It's very, very hard. And uh, to, to, to see him go through uh, all the uncertainty and to keep come back you know, you're, you're coming back I can do this I can do this like that little Down Syndrome girl with Gary Woodland absolutely when she at Phoenix you say, we can do this yeah. we can do this yeah. and that's basically what, what he's saying to himself the whole time come on Come on, you know. Let's and they're all doing it. The, the Jessica Corder, the sisters—they both play out here at concession. I've seen them. I watch him, and I—that's I, why I love to see, you know, the the, the greats uh, and how they uh, handle it. You know, especially the last few holes. Is that the real differentiator between a major champion and? maybe somebody who never wins a major? Is it just that piece? Yeah, Getting that guy is. on your shoulder to shut up? Yeah, well, I, I, I think, uh, I mean, I've, I've followed a lot of golf. I, I, I watch golf and I study it. And, you know, just Lee Westwood, who has been, unfortunately, Lovely. won a yeah. major. I mean, I've seen articles in British press, in-depth articles, and, you know, whether he ever put in his mind that he was going to win a major, I don't know. I don't know. Or whether it was just, you hear this expression, well, it's nice to be in the mix. Of course, but screw the mix. You know, I want to be at the, at the, there's only, nobody remembers who got beat. Who Paul Laurie beat in 1999 to win his Open at Carnoustie? I don't remember the other. Uh, well, Van der Velde. Van der everyone's here. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, but, you don't remember but he had was to do a Frenchman. No, yeah, you know. But uh, Van der Velde had to do something so I hate terrible word yeah. outrageous to be remembered as the second place. Yeah, right. Yeah. He had to do something so out of the norm. Oh, Sanders, I remember Doug in uh, in seventy at. Uh, at St. Andrews against Jack, you know, for for, the, for that, picking that invisible thing off. Oh, no, I know. Another terrible moment, right? So, you, okay, in winning the 1970 U.S. Open, uh, I'm just going to go through this for the f- folks out listening. Um, most people may or may not know this. The first U.S. Open was won by an Englishman. Uh, prior to your win, Cyril Walker won the U.S. Open in 1924, and it wasn't another 46 years until an Englishman, you, won the U.S. Open. You were one of, let's see, you, you shot under par every single day at the U.S. Open. Uh, your first round 71 followed by three rounds of 70. You're the fourth ever player to lead the U.S. Open wire to wire prior to that time, the last one being Ben Hogan in 1953. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. Um, you beat the field a total by seven strokes, a spread that was not beaten or equaled since 1921 U.S. Open by Jim Barnes. And to this date, um, it has only been beaten by three men, Tiger Woods, Martin Keimer, and Roy McIlroy. Yeah. That's what you did at Hazeltine. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it's remarkable. Yeah. Well, it was it was a remarkable week, and it was certainly the week you know that stands out. I mean, I won tournaments, and uh, but the, the the U.S. Open, like I said, is the hardest one in my view. I mean, I I loved links golf. I, I, it was to my advantage, uh, you know, lithium. Yeah, I that was but playing you know three thousand four thousand miles away from where you were brought up and uh, in a foreign land and you know as big as event as the U.S. Open was 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 it and uh, I uh, I was I was most relieved to get that uh, that done and. Um, but it would seem it, 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 winning is never easy you know you, it's almost like you've got to go through or you put yourself through this excruciating if 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 you know come on it's, it's and it's you know four days of it it's like uh, it's a hell of a thing to um did it wear on you? I mean, like being oh, well, in championship contention, being yeah, in the lead. I, I do believe that, you know. Until, I mean, I've always, I've always thought that Nicholas, you know, you know did the best job of managing his time. Uh, first of all, he set out um, focusing on majors. His whole schedule was focused on majors. He figured out that he couldn't play more than 18 tournaments a year uh, and give it 100%. Um, his golf course design business and his family were his, uh, were his, his uh, yeah, retreat. He got involved in the design business, which I think was a, 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 a wonderful thing for him in the early 70s that he could recharge his batteries go on the road and do a completely different thing and come back refreshed you know Barbara has been an angel the whole time and the diversion of children and bringing family up he managed his time beautifully I mean you look at my life uh, uh, during that period and I was like you know and and Gary, uh, player, was the only other one that, that was uh, just airplane to airplane, just yeah, travel. He would all get over. on an airplane and he would put his arms across his chest and he would go straight to sleep. Oh Where God he, bless those Gary, people! You know, I, I can't mean, do that. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't do that. And uh, you know, I think how you manage your time is very important. Confidence is an incredible thing for any sports person. You know, you've got to maintain your enthusiasm and your confidence and um, the the both of those things are difficult to do to, to manage so you you now hold at this point in time the open championship and the US Open you are the champion of both a month later you go into the 1970 open championship Walk us through that because you had another oh. marvelous. I mean, you are on a roll. Yeah, yeah. Was, in championship play. Yeah, I mean, it was, you're at, you, is this your peak? You're feeling like yeah, it was impossible to put yourself into a better position. I would have thought. I mean, I was eight under through ten holes. The prime minister and uh, had come and 
shook shook her hand on the f- first tea and stuff. And, um, and then, you know, I, I... Pa, 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 whatever it was after... Yeah, you're like, I think you were one stroke off the lead after two rounds. You're right there. Yeah, and I I had a putt on the last green to finish third. Uh, I missed it. Uh, I finished fifth in that championship. And the wind blew... And I and my score went up three every day. That wasn't. That was due to the weather. The weather got gradually. Oh, more, did it every more, single time? More yeah. Difficult. Ah. So I shot 67, 70, 73, 76, and finished fifth. But uh, no, it was the first day that, uh, that that I mean I went out to finish on the uh, on the Friday morning. And the last five holes were three shots harder, you know. Than right off the bat, yeah. Had been the day before, so it was, you know, that's that's your luck. It's, no, it's, yeah, well, that's op- well, that's open well, championship golf. Green, you know, uh, but um, it was uh, it was good while it lasted. I knew I knew the old course so well that that at that time I never took yardages. You really, know, it was all feel. I knew. Oh yeah, you just see it and see it and do it. That's a remarkable. And uh, you know, it was uh, it was uh, it was one of those things, is what it was. And uh, once well, in in the very next year, seventy one at Royal Birkdale, you're in it again. But I played terrible there. But you were right there. I know. I, I, I played badly. How did, the greens, walk me through that? Because you, you awful. Yeah. And they were spongy and soft and uh, thatchy, and uh, I never missed a putt under six. Don't ask me how. I putted the lights out. And uh, so you think putting carried you more? Yeah. He hit a woman on the poleaxe, and his ball came off her. He was going in a bush, and he hit her head and went in the middle of the fairway, and he got up and down. No way. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, so that was close, and then, of course, 72. Was it? 72. I mean, right. I mean, every. I mean, it seems like you're you're made for the Open. I know you won the U.S. Open, but you yeah. have this four-year, no, five-year stretch. Lynx golf, as I say, was my forte. I, I, you, you didn't have to hit perfect shots at Lynx. You know, you could chip a four-eye, and you, it, it just... Knowing, sensing what to do to get a required result. What is the best percentage shot you can hit? And I felt I knew that. It was a bit like gambling, you know. You know, what, what shot's going to come off? What's, what shot is most likely to come off here? Is it, is it the full eight or is it the chips, seven, the quiet seven? And, and I... I all the, and this, this, these choices present themselves every single hole. Right uh, on Lynx Golf, and you just loved it. And I loved it. Yeah, I, 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 you were like you were, you're dancing with it. You, you know, you 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 learn to, and the wind and you just improvising the, the whole time. Improvising. Uh, I loved it, and I still to this day there's nothing like it. Uh, Lynx Golf. So in '72. You could almost call it, you know, the Chipper Trevino, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. it just seems to be knocking well, in everything, just, though, it, right? It wasn't just that one. I mean, they'd, they'd done it four times before that. It, it, 
Yeah, five the, total chippings. In the last, in the yeah. last two rounds. Yeah. Um, you know, the third round, he's over the back of the green in, in two in, in wispy long grass. I'm at the front of the green, which is a long green, that 18. And of course, he's closer to the pin. Sure. I'll just come up. Chips it in. In. Oh. That, he sculled a bunk of shot on 16, the third, third round. One bounce. <laughs> it went in. And you're playing, I mean, like, how? And he just, yeah. he just, you know, that was the way, that was the way, you know, it, it, he, it was audacious luck. and But it happens, you know, and you, you get these, you, you get these circumstances. Uh, I shouldn't have rushed the first putt on 17. I could have two That's the 71st all hole. All day long. So he chipped in. But I, I thought, you son of a gun, you're not going to beat me like this. And I rushed it. Um, left it that awkward distance past. How far do you think that was? It was two and a half feet. Um, and, uh, and of course, he's on the 80s tee in a... Oh, he's waiting while shot, you're putting? In a shot, you know. I mean, he's, he realizes he's got the upper hand and, of course, he knocks it straight down the middle of the flower. And now, I'm, you know, I'm... I'm shook up. Yeah, you three putted seventy first hole, and you go on the seventy second. Mm-hmm. So, you know that was a big disappointment because I, I played, uh, I played well enough to win, but it's it's seventy two holes. No, not bloody seventy no. holes, and that's the uh, the thing about it. You know, he Lee, who never hooks, hit two snipe hooks on the seventeen to. One to be in the bunker, then he goes, then another one to. And then you chip in. Then over the green. Yeah. He's over the green in four. I'm 20 feet from the edge. You've got it. It's the damn game, right? I'll put this in perspective. From 69 to 72 in the open, you were nothing less than spectacular. Out of hundreds of golfers, you were the only man to finish the 1969-1970-1971-1972 Opens under par. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, you played all these Open Championships at a combined 20 under par. Now, I'm going to put that in perspective for you. Nicholas was 18 under par over the so- same four years and was over par in the 1969 Open. Trevino, who claimed two Open Championships during this stretch, was only 12 under par. Yeah. So that four-year period... You were a force in the Open Championship. Yeah. You were always there. You won an Open. Yeah, I loved it. Like I say, I, I, it was it was it was the purest form of golf, and I and I knew I didn't have to hit it. Like I say, perfect shots. You could you, you just you were playing percentages all the time, and I felt like I was pretty good uh, determining. You know what was easy and what was was difficult. You got to stay out of the pot bunkers. Obviously, that's like a shot penalty every time you go in one of those babies. I was a good driver. Um, uh, I wasn't as patient as uh, as Locke or Thompson. Uh, I learned a lot from those guys. The Thompson learned from Locke. I mean, I never forget sitting in a bar, and I, I knew that. People told me, but Locke used to put his face uh, hand across his jowl like that. He had this habit of just doing it, and I saw Thompson do it one day. I thought, 
part of my that was luck. Nobody was. He learned so many things yeah. from him. He'd all He's just life. watching them like you were watching everybody else. He, 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 he knew that, you know, Locke's greatest thing was his, his, his patience. You couldn't, he was unshakable. Well, he also and, drove and he people crazy sometimes, right? <laughs> I said he also drove people crazy sometimes. I know I read an open account where he's playing the open, and I can't remember. I, I can't remember the writer who wrote this, but he said, um, Locke took his time looking at the pitch shot. I believe he looked at every piece of grass on the way <laughs> from his shot. Harold, like he walked all the way up and Harold looked at every piece of grass. Harold Henning used to say he could hear the grass grow. Locke, I mean, yeah. he was he, he was the greatest putter I ever saw. They said he hooked putts. What does that mean? He wa- well, they, I, I've yeah, heard that. He that trapped him. He, he just tra- trapped him. He trapped him. Big open and door, closing and open and closed. He closed. him. He's, he's one of his great sayings. You know, somebody told him one day, he said, you know, you've got a bad left hand, you know, on the club. He has a strong left hand. He said, I know. I collect checks with the right. <laughs> That's so good. That is so good. Yeah, I mean, he, he was uh, he was something else, master. Called That's right. Master. That's what Ben Wright said. Master Wright. Yeah, master. You, you can't, can't make name. you can't win it unless you put it in the hole. He would get on Ben Wright for leaving putt short. It'll never go in if you don't get it there. Yeah, he was he was special. I tell you, he was. He was unbelievably special. And Thompson, like, you know, that's why he loved Lynx so much. He, he was a terrific driver of the ball, and, and, he, and he was a straight driver. And he had patience, and he was patience, you know. I mean, you, I, mean I, can, I spent many, many wonderful times with Peter Thompson. He lent me his, his house once in Portsea on the southern tip of Australia, 1966. And uh, he he was good to me. He was like a mentor, you know, as a father figure when I was coming up. I learned a lot from Peter, but he was he was very patient, and he knew that if you just kept hitting it on the green and make a few putts, yeah, make a few putts, and he just chipped away. That's why I mean, people don't give him credit for this, but he never played much senior golf over here. But for one year, when he did, and he won nine bloody tournaments, yeah. The same amount as Irwin won in his best year. Amazing. I mean, that says a lot. It does. It does. I mean, mean, five-time Open champion. Unbelievable. He he was... uh, When he used to say to me, you don't want to go to America. You want to play around the world, chipper, you know, go to... Yeah, he wasn't a big fan. Then I won the Open, and he came up. He said, oh, I wish it had been me. Oh, no! That's awesome. (laughs) That is awesome. I I had a lot of time for Peter. He was a great guy. Well, I know we're we're winding up here, but um, Ben Wright, I I can't do this without coming full circle. He told me a story of a practice round, I believe, with you and Ben Hogan. He said it was one of his last... Um, rounds of and, and you guys made a bet. I think, I think he, yeah, I, I won ten. He didn't sign. Ben okay, Ben signed said he signed it. it. Okay, no, no, I was going to say, is that is asked. that around here? Is there? No. <laughs> I'd sure like it's, to see that. It's, it's long spent. Uh, no, he he. Um, we we played for ten bucks, whatever it was. But there was just the three of us: Jackie Burke, 
And this is at Champions. Th- 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 no, no. This, this is at, at Southern Hill. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. In a practice round for the final final practice round for for the PGA in 1970, and his actual last competitive round, he retired. He hurt his knee or something. Two years after that, I think it was 72. Yeah, I think Ben combined those stories. Then, I thought he thought you were there. But um, I was on the putting green putting. Uh, Burke had come up to me the day before, Jackie, and, and said, you will play with Hogan tomorrow? I said, hell yes. So we're on the putting green. We've got 10 o'clock. And I'm putting. And Terry Dill came up to me, a big Texan. He used to play a bit of golf in in Britain in the 60s. Come over for, for the odd event. And uh, he says, hey, Tony, y'all have a game? I said, I do, Terry. He says, y'all have four? I said, let me just check. So I go over to Hogan, who's at the other, other side of the putting green. <laughs> Try not to laugh I said, already. I said, Ben, do we have four? He says, who's asking? I said, Terry Dill. He said, we're set. That's, that's all he said. We're set. I said, okay. So then we t- proceed to tee off as a threesome. Right. And, you know, I felt terrible. because. <laughs> yeah, what did you tell Dill? What did uh, you, I said, we're, just set. We're, we're set. Yeah, you just said we're set. Yeah. And uh, we play f- four or five holes. And Hogan says... Uh, he once came up to me before, you know, and I said, what? So he took like this what whole time, he doesn't say, he just by. out of the blue. So he said, that Terry Dill. Oh, I said, yeah, he came up to me on a putting green before. He said, he asked me how I prepared mentally for a major. He said, do you know what I told him? I said, I'm, I'm like the student. Oh, yeah. No, what did you tell him? He says, well, the first thing I do is I never go up and talk to other players on the putting green. Oh. And then he laughed his ass off. You know, because he, he, oh, that funny. was the way he was. He was like, uh, if if you had asked him a, a dumb he thought I was a dumb quint, you know. And uh, and that's just... Uh, first thing I do is uh, I don't go up and ask somebody on the putting green. But I green. can tell you this. Yeah. Nobody did it like Hogan. He he was the best I ever saw. Even at that age, was he uh, best like, I ever saw? I don't know how old he was. It was in seventy, in in nineteen seventy. He was born in what? Uh, I mean, he would have been eighteen. Was it nineteen? Yeah, he would have been in his fifties. Was he in his fifties then? Yeah, but I mean, yeah, like yeah. But I mean, fifties back then is a lot different than fifties yeah, today. Yeah, he was. He, he did, yeah, he was in good shape. He was other in than his knees, shape, yeah. I mean, so uh, what? What? What's he, it like playing with Ben Hogan? I mean, this is an idol to you. You well, knew was, him before you played I golf. Never, I never. People have asked me, and I, I never. You know who my heroes were, and I said, well, I never had a hero, because, and the reason was, I knew that if I got too enamored with a hero. I mean, I, How do you I beat always him? think of Tom Weisskopf from Nicholas. You How know? do you beat think, him? Yeah. And, but, but Hogan, I would look back through my life, and, uh, and Hogan was, was, he was just the best player I ever saw. 
And that's, that's as simple as that. You know, I've heard Venturi tell stories as well, of course, like everybody else. As he got older, he couldn't get the putter back. You know, he, 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 putting began. Yeah. I mean, and there's a point in life where you all realize, uh, <laughs> if you've got any sort of intelligence, I learned in the middle of what I was doing that putting was it. Mm-hmm. If if you couldn't putt, yeah, you couldn't play golf, and you know, and it's a different game uh, in a way to to the swing and uh, all the things we're doing. It's 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 a massive, massive part of the game. Half your it, strokes. Golf is a masquerade. It, 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 people think it's all to do with the way that they swing, and it's all to do with the way you putt. But you've never, you know, I never. Uh, you can't win tournaments if you don't putt well. And uh, I ended up, uh, you know, in 1982, pushing myself to a point uh, with it that uh, I got so ten. It was the only thing in my life that I did that I didn't enjoy. So I stopped doing it. And that's where I went to live in southern Spain and got golf carts along the Costa del Sol. Right. And I didn't have to deal with, you know, feeling ill. Yeah. Uh, and that's what it became? Was it yeah, like yeah. an illness? Yeah. Like a burn? Well, Just- yeah. I mean, I mean, I know it doesn't matter how well you play. You teach a green. It's, it's a, if you can't putt, you can't yeah. play golf. And um, I would, I made so much of it. I mean, I won the British PGA in 1982, putting like a fool. Uh, but every time I hit a putt or had to hit a putt, it was a, it was an excruciating. It was not unlike you know Byron Nelson. Uh, I played a lot of golf with Tommy Bolt, and it was Bolt's wife that told me that you know she would be mopping his puke up every night before he played golf. He, and he retired at thirty-four. Nelson. Yeah. Well, I mean, but, I mean, he won the eleven. It's a bla- yeah. Where do you go after that? You know, it's like Jones winning the ground. He'd lose Where do you go 14 pounds. Jones would lose 14 pounds in a, in a major championship yeah. just from anxiety. Yeah. And this is... Uh, did you feel that then? I mean, did you feel oh, that yeah. kind of... Absolutely. Do they all feel it, I guess, is the question that you know of? Or are there some people that just don't feel that pressure? Well, I don't know. Everybody's different. Yeah. I... I, I you know, my biggest uh, biggest mistake was, you know, uh, not living and moving to America in 1970. Uh, McCormack wanted me in Europe and all his minions were telling me that I needed to be in Europe and, and I wanted to be in America. I loved America. And uh, if I hadn't been broke when I was 49... I still wouldn't be in America, but the fact that I was broke and I had to come and play senior golf is the best thing that ever happened for me and my family. I've got children who are here now who have a far, far better life than they could have ever had in the UK. And uh, it was all down to the fact that, uh, you know, I ran out of money. But if I'd have been here, instead of playing in front of British crowds and trying to be all things to all people over there... Uh, I, it would have been a different uh, kettle yeah. of fish because I could have, I could have cherry picked my tournaments. I had a ten-year exemption; they are open, 
And, uh, you know, but uh, like I say, McCormack wanted me over there. It's almost like he had Palmer here. He had... No, he d- yeah, worldwide, yeah. He was doing all his other stuff. It's, um, you know, people don't realize that side of things, but... Uh, so it's really that to your detriment, really, is how you feel. I wished I'd never met him. I wished I'd yeah. never met George Bloomberg, who was actually his director, put me my name forward into the thing because I was I was being courted at the time uh, from uh, um, what's his name he was Sneed's manager oh I've got his book in there his daughter sent me his book Ed Cochran he wanted to represent me but IMG was was supposed at the time was it and of course he was getting you know, he didn't realize, you know, I didn't realize at the time that it was it was never about me. It was always about Mark, you know. Worldwide he representation. He was an opportunist, and uh, he was doing his Vidal Sassoon. He was doing his modeling agencies. He was, you know, he was, uh, he was going global. And, uh, you know, I was uh, just a, a pawn in the game. <laughs> So golf gave, then it took away, and then the senior tour gave again, I suppose, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, I wished again. Full circle. But unfortunately, the senior tour, you know, because they get, when they set it up, they're trying to keep everybody out. I wasn't exempt. You know, I couldn't play when I wanted. Um, and then when I stopped playing, after having spent myself over the first two years playing 30 tournaments a year, because it was all on money, 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 and uh, I tired of it, and all the same things happened. My putting it manifested itself in my putting uh, uh, being, you know, uh, not as good as it should be. I I, I quit, and uh, and then they put me in the Hall of Fame, <laughs> which which meant I could play again if I wanted. Really? But, uh, yeah. But yeah. I, I it was too late. You yeah. Know, I was. Uh, uh, I was already 58, and sure. I, I, I was doing other stuff. Well, I understand now that you fill some of that, the less golf in your life, if you will, with art. I hear you're a, a woodworker and do wood, yeah. like artwork with it, right? Yeah. Walk, walk yeah. me through that process. Like, How'd you get into that? I, and oh, I started that when I was a kid. Uh, I've seen some of your work. It's uh, and, phenomenal. Uh, yeah, it's pretty nice. Somewhere. I'd say phenomenal. I've got some in there. I'll show you. I'd love to see it. Yeah. Well, very good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been great. I hope you come back. Let's. I'd love to do one for the Ryder Cup. Good. And I'd love to do another one where we just talk about some of the people you came across yeah. in your career and tell stories about that. We can do that. All right. Thank you so much. You got it. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. I particularly enjoyed Mr. Jacklin's insight into the medal of a major champion, how he tamed the voice on his shoulder, and his insight into some of golf's great champions. I also look forward to having him back on the show to share his Ryder Cup history and stories from the tour. If you are like me and a fan of golf art, you need to check out Mr. Jacklin's website. On it, you will see amazing works of art that he produces and sells. Tony started working on marquetry, the art of piecing together different types and colors of wood to create a truly one-of-a-kind piece of art in 1957. And he is now, much like in the game of golf, a master. You have to see his artwork to fully appreciate it. 
You can find it at tonyjacklinmarketry.co.uk or look for it in our show notes. Until next time, yours in golf history. This is Connor T. Lewis. Thank you.